Well, welcome to New Life Sunday service. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. Um, New Life is a community that exists for the glory of God and the gospel of grace. Perhaps you've heard that before. Uh, It's the good news that our God is king over all our lives and he cares for us and does not sin against us. How great it is that we can have such a king. How great it is that we can have such a sovereign God. My name is Young, lead pastor here at New Life, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to our online service. Um, We're not too far off, and so I'm really excited for that time when we can be together once again. If you're new to New Life, welcome to the live stream. We'd love to be able to connect with you, so please do stick around and fill out the newcomers form, which will be available to you at the end of the service uh, via the QR code, I believe in the live chat. Um, Creative has also put up a Linktree link, and once you head over there, you'll be able to see um, the newcomers form, fill it out, and we'll be able to get in contact with you to get you connected to the community here at New Life. Now for our time of fellowship, as we've been doing over the past few weeks during lockdown, let's share in the YouTube live chat. Uh, This week, let's share together. What's a message of hope or a word of encouragement that you want to give people today? What is a message of hope or a word of encouragement you want to give people today? Um, Perhaps it's something that you've really needed to hear or that you want to hear. Um, Perhaps it's something that you've heard once and it really brought nourishment to your soul. So let me give you a few moments to share that message of hope. All right, hopefully uh, people have had a chance to share a message of hope. Uh, One thing I would like to say, um, something that um, perhaps we all need to hear is you're doing okay. You know, things are going okay um, considering how the world is right now. Um, We're navigating a little bit blind these days, but you're doing okay. I'm going to hand it over to creative team. Um, They're going to pass it over to Joyce for our reading of the word this morning.
Thank you, Joyce, for the reading of the Word of God this morning. Um, it's great to see a familiar face. If this is an unfamiliar face to you, um, then do get to know these people as you spend time online. And once we get back to service, hopefully um, people won't be strangers and we'll be able to grow together as a community. Why don't I pray for us as we get into uh, the Word this morning. Father, we turn to you in all thanksgiving and all trust, knowing, Lord, that we can trust you, knowing, Lord, that you do not sin against us, that you are the Holy One, the God over all of the earth. We look to you, the one who has set the planets in motion, the one that has knit our lives together, the one who knows when we sit down and when we rise, the one who knows how we were born and how we will end. How can we not turn and trust in you? We ask, Lord, that in this moment today, this morning, you would help us to trust in your word, the great foundation and the solid rock that we stand upon, the thing that gives meaning to our lives, the guideposts when we're blind. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would reveal to us the word that you have this morning, that you would speak to our hearts, and that you would help us, Lord, to grow and to be changed by your word once again. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The other day in the news, um, I saw this article that reported that certain churches and certain Christians were receiving taxpayer-funded help through something called JobKeeper. Perhaps some of you guys are familiar with JobKeeper. Um, and that they had received JobKeeper despite incredible increases in giving, um, upwards of over 3,000% uh, of what their normal giving would have been. And JobKeeper, what I know from what I've experienced with church is given under the forecast that giving will be down, okay? So people would forecast, you know that the church is not like another entity where we can just tell, you know, how much money will be coming in. Um, it really depends on how generous people are. And so it was given under the forecast that giving would be down, but this was clearly not the case uh, in this news article. Now, if the church had then gone on to repay the amount that had been received and to take the extra giving in order to sow it back into the community, to love their neighbors, to seek to bring grace to the city that it's located in, this could have been just a really breathtaking article for the world to take in, to see, man, the church is really doing good, you know, even for those that don't believe, for them to be able to see this, what a witness that would have been. But the talking point comes because of the outrage that many non-Christians feel at a non-profit organization like a church seemingly turning a profit. On the other side of things, there have been certain Christians that also believe that it's fine, that obligations like these, they don't need to be paid back, that they're beholden to a greater kingdom. And so the government of today is here to be taken advantage of, so to speak. Can you see what a poor witness this 
is to the world. Our passage this morning talks to us about the need for us to be good citizens in this world. Even with the example in the news that I just mentioned, reading it in light of our passage from Romans today that Joyce read to us, we can see that the paying of taxes is today just like it was then, of great importance. In fact, it was one of the most basic ways for us to live out submission to governing authorities. How do you actually display submission in your lives? This is one of the easiest ways to do it, by paying taxes. These are, of course, uh, the governing authorities that God has placed over us in our lives. And Jesus himself taught that we must give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. You know, as we've continued on through the global pandemic, uh, coronavirus, and as we endure through an extended period of lockdown, I've really felt strongly in my heart through prayer that the world and indeed our church and new life needs messages of hope. And yet as time wore on, I don't know if you noticed this as well, there's been this increasing polarization, uh, there's been this division between people that just seems to be growing day by day. You know, if you keep your finger on the pulse of uh, commentary online or, you know, commentary through the news, through media, whatever you consume, and we touched upon this last week as well, it feels as though where we were once able to discuss things, where we were once able to have civil conversations and discourse, where we tried to understand one another's viewpoints, Instead, this great chasm has opened up. And rather than attempt to bridge the gap, we point fingers at each other. We sneer and we say that people are evil or that they're stupid or that they're against God when they hold certain viewpoints. So I felt that there's a pressing need for us to respond to the time and the culture that we're currently living in. The division that exists between people is something that could be worked out with the grace that we ought to have towards one another as fellow image bearers of our great God. When we talk about our great God, when we talk about the grace that he has towards us, and when we talk about being image bearers, surely this same grace can help to bridge the gap. But I'm finding through my own experience, that these conversations are increasingly difficult to have because of the level of heightened passion, the emotionalism that's attached. Like for myself, for instance, when it comes to my health, my own health, being at risk due to decisions that other people make, maybe I can overlook this. But as someone who's not far off from welcoming a child into this world, as someone who's a husband to my lovely wife, when it comes to the health of my loved ones, the risk that's being placed upon them due to misinformation that spreads faster than any sort of virus in this world, then yes, my heart grows inflamed, I feel frustration and anger leading me rather than grace. And on the other side of the coin, I'm sure the same can be true. That people feel with their conscience that they're genuinely following God and they genuinely can't understand why 
we might feel different. And we need to talk about this. We need grace to talk about this. We need to talk about this because this misinformation that's spreading is aimed at getting people riled up and restless. Getting people against one another rather than united. It makes us not able to talk to one another. Getting people into disobedience towards governing authorities. And it's done with an appeal to our emotions, saying that somehow submission to the government results in us being against God. It's like those cheesy posts on social media, I don't know if you've ever seen this, that tries to force you to share their posts by saying something like, I bet you won't share this unless you really love Jesus. And then, <laughs> what option do you have, right? This strange manipulation of emotions that tries to coerce us into doing something. We need to talk about this because we're being taken advantage of in some areas where in good faith, I really want to believe in good faith, we might want to do really well in our love of God. And yet we're quite lacking when it comes to our knowledge. Our knowledge of the Bible is lacking. And so we're taken advantage of. Even our Lord Jesus, the word of God himself, was attacked with an attack against his identity. Where? And yet it was his knowledge of the word of God that kept him from sin. Look with me, Luke 4, verses 9 to 13. So he, Satan, took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. Do you see what's happening here? Like, if you know the Bible, Satan here is quoting from Psalm 91. Taken out of context, Psalm 91, those two verses, verses 11 to 12, seems to suggest that Jesus is gonna be safe no matter what he does. And he seems to be trying to manipulate Jesus' emotions. Like, okay, you say you're the son of God, well, prove it, prove it to me. Because this psalm says, if you really are, you'll be safe. Throw yourself down from here. And if you really are the son of God, you'll be safe. But Jesus quotes back from Deuteronomy 6.16, adding much needed context. Because all of scripture is in agreement it's not to be used against each other, it's united. It helps you to interpret other parts of scripture. So Satan's attacks against identity, against our identity, against our emotions, they can be deflected harmlessly off of us by the armor of the word of God. Don't be manipulated. We have to be experts in our Father's voice. You wanna hear from God, read your Bible. He speaks clearest, through his word given to us. Know the Bible and do what it says. And don't be manipulated. Now anytime there's a perceived threat to the way of life that we've lived as we've known it, we look for someone to blame. And we long to go back to old ways. This happened in the Bible as well, okay? When the Israelites were saved from Egypt in the Exodus, 
They faced hardship in the wilderness. Surprise, you're going through the desert, there's hardship. They were to trust in God, his chosen representative, Moses. And Moses was far from a perfect man. Don't get me wrong. When you look at Moses, when you read his story, you see a deeply flawed individual. And yet, God has placed him in this position of authority for a reason. He has done it himself. And yet, in the wilderness, people will point their fingers at Moses, grumbling against him, wanting to disobey and overthrow him, even wanting to go back into slavery in Egypt. Let me go back to my way of life, my leeks and and meats and all these different things. Let me go back to this way of living. How quickly they forget how much they cried out for salvation. They want their old ways back. And today, what's the biggest threat to our way of life as we've known it? Coronavirus. During the past nearly two years, I've seen all sorts of misinformation spread. And I've held my tongue at different moments, but we need to talk about it. People cast doubt during that time, during the last two years, on whether coronavirus was even a real thing, suggesting that it's just a tool for control by the government, saying that masks are gonna destroy us. You're gonna be breathing in your own carbon dioxide, it's gonna kill your brains, no. As time went by, this was shown to be patently false. Doubt was cast after that, though, about the severity of the virus then. Do you see how the goalposts keep moving? The severity of of the virus suggesting it's just a flu. When this was proven to be false, since flu deaths in a year, in a very bad year of the flu, reach up to about 650,000 deaths a year, and the coronavirus has already resulted in 4.55 million deaths in the world during this time. What was next? If it's not the severity of the virus that can be cast into doubt, what was next? Vaccine efficacy and the perceived dangers with it, along with an undermining of the government because we can't have the government controlling us. Those have been the next whispers that have come along. And we Christians, have some serious issues when it comes to the place that authority figures play in our lives. Authority figures here on earth hold in our lives, and we need to talk about it. And this stems from a lack of knowledge of what the Bible tells us and our lack of willingness to do what it says. It pains me when I see Christians attaching their names to these kinds of movements, saying, We must stand up for the rights of Christians by fighting the government, by doing these things. They jump to all sorts of conclusions. What in the Bible has led you to believe that God has abandoned this world? The story of the Bible shows again and again how God has not abandoned this world as at great cost to himself He comes through again and again in order to save us, regardless of how we've acted. And if God has not abandoned this world, then we as image bearers shouldn't either. Now wait a minute, you might say. I still love this world. 
and the parts that are definitely God's. I just don't like this evil, shadowy hand that's subtly undermining Christianity. These might be the thoughts in your head. These might be the thoughts that you've encountered in well-meaning people around you. Some have believed and have suggested that the government is filled with agents of evil, setting policies and doing everything in their power to secretly kill our faith in Christ, to get rid of Christians. Can you imagine the level of coordination that this would take? If you're here at New Life as your home, you already know that New Life is a part of Sezun, one of the largest Korean churches in all of Australia, and you must know how ineffective secrets are. You must know this. The moment one person's mom knows something, all of Sydney knows about it. You know this already from your own experience. Benjamin Franklin once said, three can keep a secret if two of them are dead. Do you really think that entire governments all across the world could put in an effort like this to keep such a worldwide secret? Let's get to the passage, shall we? Romans 13, one to three. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. And those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good and you will have its approval. Paul teaches us in our passage today, Romans 13, one to seven, of the need for us as followers of Christ to submit to governing authorities. You might be wondering, what is a teaching like this doing in this kind of letter in Romans? Especially as we've talked in the past, we ourselves at New Life have talked in the past about how the world is moving to a certain place. There's a new creation coming. We're citizens of a greater kingdom. We've talked about this in the last year, several times, but this is exactly why Paul is teaching this. We seem to be capable of only taking away bits and pieces of information and then misinterpreting them or jumping to extreme conclusions. And Paul wants to head this off and say, no, the new creation coming, our citizenship in heaven, it doesn't mean rejection of every human and societal convention. Do not do this. We don't reject the government wholesale as though we don't need to pay attention to authorities of a secular age. No, if you live in this way, you'll probably go to jail. It won't, it won't work. Now, I accept this might be confusing if you've never thought about this before, if you've never considered this, but this is why we actually have to grapple with the Word of God. The Word of God is not just for Sundays. The Word of God is not just for an hour on Sundays. It's for you to grapple with constantly, and it will form you. Don't just block your ears as though your hearts know better. You know that has never been the case. That has never been the antidote to our status as humans. We do not know better. We need the word of God to speak to us, to set us free. We need the spirit of God to change the orientation of our hearts. Make no mistake, 
Paul has included this teaching only a little while later after in this part of Romans 12 when he says, do not be conformed to this age. He has done this for a reason. But not everything in this present time and place is part of this age in the same way. We must stop broad brushing and generalizing in this way. (laughs) We look so ignorant and crazy when we do this. I have a special hatred for the palpable anxiety that's in the air these days. And it's infecting me too. I've never been an anxious person. And yet these days, I can't help myself about whether or not we can trust our government. They're not perfect. But why do we jump straight towards things like saying people are dictators or comparing authority figures to Nazis? Brothers and sisters, this is projection, if anything. Can we not do this? We are not living in that time and place. You will know when that happens. A mask mandate is not Nazi Germany. Can we please not jump to that conclusion? You know, in the 1940s, people in the US were just as anxious because they thought in the height of the Cold War between Russia and the US, they thought that the communists were gonna come and destroy their way of life. And we have this today. We have something similar to the Red Scare of that day in fear through conspiracy theories like cultural Marxism. I don't know if you've heard of this. And in anti-science Christianity and now in areas of medicine. Please do not fall for anti-establishment thoughts and anti-government propaganda when the word of God tells us not to. Christians, we're citizens of a greater kingdom, yes. And we're headed towards the new creation, yes. I am excited more than anyone for this, for this day when I don't have to worry, when I can just be there. But we are still here now, today, and God has a plan for us. We're not there yet. We're still citizens of now. He has left us not alone in this world, but he is with us. We're citizens of a greater kingdom. Can we not just take on these negative aspects of our culture around us, like tall poppy syndrome of wanting to cut down to size those that we perceive to be above us, particularly today with the government? And for those who are faced with these views, those who might be thinking, well, I'm glad I'm not them. I'm glad I'm not with those guys. Can we please not take on this Sebes mentality of not wanting to engage with these people, with our brothers and sisters? Engage with them lovingly in order to win them back. The Bible tells us so. We are a loving, gracious people if we're changed by God. You know God loves this world, right? You know this. He has revealed himself to us and in this we've received his grace and we talk about the gospel of grace each week. But he has grace enough for all people, even those that would reject him. 
not just believers, not just you and me, brothers and sisters, not just his sons and daughters, but all of creation, even those that would reject him until their dying breath, he has grace enough for them too. He chooses to love them, even as they turn their backs on him by giving this world common grace, institutions that are good and healthy for us, things like marriage. He gives marriage to all the world. He gives common grace, things like rain, so that people can live, they can grow crops and eat instead of just starving to death. He gives good things like government. When you read our passage today, Romans 13, 1 to 7, how do you read it? Why does the government exist? Really wrestle with these questions today. Like, don't just take my word for it if you're struggling with it. Wrestle with these questions today. Wrestle with the word of God today. Why in Romans 12 does Paul forbid us from taking vengeance ourselves and then talk in Romans 13 about governing authorities carrying the sword? Consider these things. Let scripture interpret scripture. Wrestle with them. We looked last week at loving our neighbor, and this is manifest here too. Submission to government is an aspect of the common good that we as Christians can seek after. Emulating our government, or emulating our God and extending grace to all around us. And if God is doing this, and we're doing this, then we are approving the will of God as Romans 12 tells us to do. Look, we'll do some straight exegesis of the passage, okay? Let's just look at the passage. Romans 13, one, look with me. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Paul's telling us submit because government has been appointed by God. If you know God is your Lord, your sovereign over you, then you know that he stands behind these authorities. He's sovereign, that's what this means. We're to submit, and this, this word is important because submission is not just blind obedience either. It's us recognizing our place and their place in seeing that there is a hierarchy, there is authority over us. We see this word in other places throughout scripture as well. This is why you need to be a good reader of scripture. Like where Paul tells Christians, submit to your spiritual leaders in 1 Corinthians 16, or to submit to one another, Christians, in Ephesians 5, or for Christian wives to submit to their husbands in Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, Titus 2, the list goes on. How can we submit? We can submit when we know that there's a greater authority standing behind that authority. We can submit. If you're a woman and you're struggling with that word, we can talk about this as well, but you're not submitting to every man either. It's to a loving husband, one that loves God, one that submits to him, one that will sacrificially, spiritually die for you. This is the submission that we're talking about. Paul points out that no ruler has authority except what God has appointed him. And we see this with all sorts of people all throughout scripture, all throughout the Bible. People like King David, people like Nebuchadnezzar, people like Ahab, good and bad rulers, people that are deeply flawed 
some even more than others. Later on in Sunday groups, you'll hear about the emperor at the time that Paul was writing the, the letter to the Romans in. For myself, okay, my own example here, there have been many recent historical examples of rulers that I generally didn't agree with or genuinely didn't even like. Seeing them on the news would make my skin crawl and yet there's a purpose that God has planned in giving them authority that remains sometimes unclear to me even till today. And that's okay, because his ways are higher than my ways. Acknowledging their place of authority as given by God, our sovereign God, acknowledges that our God has higher thoughts than ours. From my human perspective though, I can't just think that a ruler gained power because he was born into it. I can't just believe that people elected him out of popularity votes. I know my God is sovereign. I know what the Bible tells me, and his ways are higher than mine, so I must trust in what he has done. Look with me at verse two. So then, the one who resists authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. If God has given authority to these governments, then certainly resistance against them is a refusal to acknowledge God's sovereignty. It's placing ourselves in God's place, saying that our thoughts are actually higher than his, that we know better than him. And Paul teaches that this brings judgment upon ourselves. And this judgment, it, on one hand, is purely an earthly one as well, where the punishment that the government might place on us, for example, in our time and place now, the fines or the imprisonment that we might face for refusing to comply with health orders. And on the other hand, it can also point to God's own judgment. The passage goes on, verses three to four, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason, for it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. In giving authority to them, God has given them the responsibility of maintaining order for our society. And this is a great burden. I don't know if you realize this. What a great burden that the courts have. What a great burden that judges have when it comes to life or death. This is often done, again, through punishing those who do wrong and also through rewarding those who do good. In doing this, governments and secular rulers, they carry out God's purposes in this world, though not perfectly in its judgments. And if this is the case, we as Christians are to submit. New Life, we as people who have tasted and seen the goodness of the gospel of grace, we ought to already be doing good. This should be evident in our lives already. And if we're doing this, if we're loving God and loving our neighbors, we will be unafraid and gain favor. Years ago, I worked at Apple. Some of you guys know this. I worked at an Apple store and I was talking with a few coworkers and I realized there were a number of Christians in my team. 
And I just went around. I was talking to them. And it was just very odd to me that there were so many Christians localized in this Apple store. And I asked one of them why this was the case. I was like, does the manager just go to a Hillsong campus and just pick you guys out? Or like, what's going on here? And they said, no, but the manager likes to hire Christians because generally they seem to be more patient and kind towards their customers and they were dependable in a lot of ways. They did good and so they received praise from their boss. I've highlighted a few words here in verses three to four. And the level with which Paul takes this authority that's been given by God to our governing authorities is so high that Paul uses a particular Greek word here, diakonos. You see the highlighted word on screen there, God's servant. The word servant there, he uses the word that we use in the modern day for deacon. You guys might have heard this word before if you've been in churches for a long time. You might have witnessed the deacons and deaconesses here at Sezun as well. Okay, maybe you didn't know their position within the church, but you've certainly felt their impact, especially if you're of a younger age within the last year. You know, they've been coming and praying for new life. They attend some of our Friday night prayer services, even online. You know, they, they sometimes don't know how the platform works, and so you hear them still talking while everyone's muted, and then someone has to quickly mute them, but they still come and pray. They have had a desire to give financially in order to support the ministry for things like refine. They've paid the way for some of you guys. They've given food. They've done things constantly. They reach out, seeking to figure out how can they serve us in love. And this is the word that Paul uses in pointing out that the governing authorities serve the function of God's deacons, even as secular rulers mostly. They serve God without knowing, carrying out his purposes and blessing his people. Look with me at verse five. Therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. We've looked at why we should submit since there are consequences to not submitting. Teachers probably know that negative reinforcement isn't everything, you know, but the bigger and more foundational reason for submission is conscience. If we know our great God, if we know that his will and purposes will be carried out on this earth, if we know his sovereignty, that he sits upon the throne and rules over all creation, then it stands to reason that we as Christians already know implicitly that nothing can happen outside of God's sight. Even those that do not believe in God must be his servants for they don't exist in some sort of godless vacuum outside of God's rule and reign. This means that it's not just because we want to avoid punishment that we submit to the government. It's because ultimately we submit to God and trust in him and his gracious providence in setting order over humanity. The government is part of God's grace for us that we don't descend into chaos and anarchy like in the time of judges. 
If you know the book of Judges, one of the, the most nightmarish bedtime stories that you can possibly read, read that book if you don't want to sleep, if you want to know what happens with no king in the land. Verses six to seven, and for this reason you pay taxes since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. Along with the Romans, we can recognize here that even in the way that we pay taxes, Okay, if you have a job, if you've ever bought anything with GST, you're already paying taxes. We're already acknowledging by the way that we pay taxes that the government has authority over us. We acknowledge this even in our practice. As we submit to the government in matters such as taxes, so we should submit in obeying what we're told to do in matters that do not violate the word of God. Now some balance has to be had here. The government is not the highest authority. We're citizens of a greater kingdom, yes, as we mentioned several times already, and as we've talked about in the past. Just as we obey the highest authority in God, so too does the government. They must take their cues from God. If there's something that's expressly against God, then yes, we must respectfully disobey. But please do not polarize here. We're not there yet. Romans 13, 1-7 is clear. We have to be able to know and do the word of God. The teaching that's presented to us is that the government isn't just a bunch of clowns that we put up with for the time being, but it's an institution that's been established by God himself to carry out some of his purposes here on earth. Follow the laws. Listen to the health orders. However, this also balances with the fact that the government doesn't take a place as high as God in our hearts. We can think of it as an institution of God, but it's not God himself. Scripture tells us to regularly pray for our leaders and to obey, and we should. But we must also be wise in matters of conscience, in our obedience to God, and our love for our neighbors. But this also must be done respectfully and still following and obeying as much as we can. Martin Luther, a famous historical Christian priest, lived during a little bit of a worse pandemic than we're going through. He lived through the bubonic plague, sometimes called Black Death, and advised another pastor with some balance. In matters of conscience, he did state that he should not run away from the plague for he was still to minister to people. He himself followed this practice as well. But he also advised, be wise in the precautions that were to be taken, warning to not fall into sin by being reckless. I've included with the sermon a portion of the letter, and it's a bit of a long read, but it's really worth reading in this time and place, so if you want to follow along with me on screen, I know it's a bit of a long one, but read with me here. Others sin on the right hand, Martin Luther writes. They are much too rash and reckless, tempting God and disregarding everything which might counteract death and the plague. They disdain the use of medicines. They do not avoid places and persons infected by the plague, but lightheartedly make sport of it 
and wishes to prove how independent they are. They say that it is God's punishment. If he wants to protect them, he can do so without medicines or our carefulness. This is not trusting God, but tempting him. God has created medicines and provided us with intelligence to guard and take care, take good care of the body so that we can live in good health. If one makes no use of intelligence or medicine when he could do so without detriment to his neighbor, such a person injures his body and must beware, lest he become a suicide in God's eyes. By the same reasoning, a person might forego eating and drinking, clothing and shelter, and boldly proclaim his faith that if God wanted to preserve him from starvation and cold, he could do so without food and clothing. Actually, that would be suicide. It is even more shameful for a person to pay no heed to his own body and to fail to protect it against the plague the best he is able, and then to infect and poison others who might have remained alive if he had taken care of his body as he should have. He is thus responsible before God for his neighbor's death and is a murderer many times over. Indeed, such people behave as though a house were burning in the city and nobody were trying to put the fire out. Instead, they give leeway to the flames so that the whole city is consumed, saying that if God so willed, he could save the city without water to quench the fire. No, my dear friends, that is no good. Use medicine. Take potions which can help you fumigate house, yard, and street. Shun persons and places wherever your neighbor does not need your presence or has recovered and act like a man who wants to help put out the burning city. What else is the epidemic but a fire which instead of consuming wood and straw devours life and body? You ought to think this way. Very well, by God's decree, the enemy has sent us poison and deadly offal. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he has expected of me and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. The only way we can have certainty enough that we can trust an authority over us is with our faith in God. I've mentioned this several times already, right? the authority that God has over us. This is fairly clear from what we discussed. There have been historic examples of power corrupting authority, power corrupting the government, and it can lead us to conclude that we can't trust anyone anymore. Yet, because of our faith in the sovereign God, we can submit to those he set in authority over us. And even if we have doubts over these governing authorities, we can rest assured there's justice coming and that nothing escapes our great God. His own son Jesus obeyed to the point of his own death. 
going to the cross and dying on our behalf, that we might now live without fear, knowing that our Father is sovereign and He has the best in mind for us, and that we can love our neighbors fearlessly as well. This might have been a difficult message for you. I don't know. If you're someone who's struggling with this, with vaccination or submission to authority, let's talk. Don't let the chasm grow anymore. Don't let us become polarized. Don't be divided, but let's talk. It matters a conscience. We, as a community of faith, as a family of faith, here at New Life can go on from Romans 13 to Romans 14 as well and lovingly embrace one another so that we're not stumbled, so that we can acquiesce to one another, that we can submit to one another. I pray that his love would guide us towards love for one another. Let's pray. Father, when we read in 1 John that you are love, that God is love, we want to know this love to such a degree that love drips from our every action and our every word. We don't want to stand divided anymore. We want to be united. Man, it's hard. It's hard in this time and culture. It's hard when our own hearts seek to be divided within ourselves, seeking selfishness, seeking gain, rather than seeking selfless giving and generosity, rather than seeking you. It's hard, God but we know that your spirit can work because it's turned even us around. It saved us even when our every cry was against you. And now the cry of our hearts is for you. And we cry out once again this morning, asking that you would change our hearts, change our hearts disposition towards you first, that we might receive your love and your grace, and then change our hearts disposition towards one another towards our neighbor, neighbor, towards our friend, may we truly love, may we truly extend grace, may we submit. Help us to grapple with the word. May we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.